and welcome back to Wine Grants, Season 2, Unscripted Chat About the Unfunded, the official podcast of the Unfunded List. I'm Dave Moss, of course, of the Moss Family Foundation, founder of the Unfunded List and host of this podcast. With me this week is Alex Simon. Say hello, Alex. Hello, Alex. <laughs> what a card. Welcome to the booth, Alex. Uh, as you, uh, as our loyal listeners will know from the first season, we like to start every episode off by reading our guest's bio. Excellent. Uh, Alex has made a, um, a unique request. We're going to break with tradition here at the Unfunded List. Uh, and rather than read uh, a bio for him, I don't think he has a bio. I think that's why we're doing this. Uh, he's asked me to just sort of read selected bits from his LinkedIn profile. So if anyone's following along at home, feel free to look Alex up on LinkedIn. That's Alex Simon. LinkedIn.com slash Alex M. Simon. That's cor- that is correct. Yeah. I see that here. Uh, and you'll see a nice little picture of Alex there. Uh, and it'll say founding team YNG Plus at YPO Young Presidents Organization. Um, so uh, Al- uh, when you print out his LinkedIn profile, it's eight pages long, um, which is, I don't know, probably about average for a LinkedIn profile. Although you do have a lot of stuff on here for someone of your tender years. Of 15. If you're 15 years old. I'm 15 years old. Welcome. Um, Am I your your youngest guest? And you, Ian, uh, yeah, if you're 15, yeah, probably. Yeah. I think, um, you. May, how old are you really? You're not 15. In human years, 26 years old. You're 26? You may be the youngest guest we've had. Mm. Uh, we had a couple folks that were in their 20s last season. Uh, but uh, regardless, you're welcome. Uh, you I, you bracketed the things that you want me to, to talk about. You, did not, you skipped this summary. You don't want me to read this? No, no, no. no. All right. I, so I read it over, and I realized it needs... Okay, so I think I'll start work. by reading this Yeah. This part out loud. That's best. And I'll, I'll, but I'll say, though, that the folks at home do not want me to... This You have specifically said, don't read this part. Mm. And I will be reading it now. Uh, this is in Alex's words. He wrote this the first person. I spend most of my time working on and thinking about the development of innovation, of innovation ecosystems. The intersection between entrepreneurship and higher education. Yes, there is one. And the implications of billions of people using chairs on a regular basis when they were created first and foremost to stratify society. I enjoy building partnerships that make sense, connecting dots where it's helpful, and sharing, selling ideas, programs, and organizations that will change the world for the better. If any of this resonates, let's talk. And I don't know why you didn't want me to read that. I think that was great. I think it is an elaborate version of a PBS ad. Like, sponsored by viewers like you. It's sponsored, a very yes. sanitized and bullshit series of words strung together. The only thing that's significant in there that anyone This is something you wrote is, about This yourself. is something that, that I... You're describing it. In the past, Alex Simon, LinkedIn.com slash Alex M. Simon has written that about himself. Mm-hmm. The only thing I'd say that has uh, uh, longevity and value to it uh, is, uh, is that chairs were intended to stratify society. I right. know this is a like philanthropy grants no, oriented fine. podcast. Philanthropists and... sit in chairs. Yeah, well, sometimes. And you mean by that, that that only the wealthy were intended to sit? The if if you'd like to go down this path, that... I'm happy <laughs> to go down it. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Um, I mean that yeah, we we uh, sit in chairs all the time. They're ever present in our society, and and really now around the world. Not here at the lookout. We have standing desks. Now we have standing desks. But if you look at the <laughs> earliest archaeological evidence they of chairs. At their desks. The earliest archaeological evidence, Neolithic period, 
uh, we have evidence from clay pottery of women sitting on three-legged stools, and there's no clay pottery of men depicted sitting on these three-legged stools. They're depicted standing, walking, running. Sitting was for women. Well, sitting was for women, and that was because you had a society in which women were responsible both for the child-rearing, obviously, and the um, and the agriculture. So the double f- fertility resulted in a matrifocal society. And basically throughout the history of chairs, from Egyptian times to uh, Greek, Roman, medieval, all the way to modern, postmodern, contemporary times, chairs have always uh, been great indicators of who in our society was more or less powerful, and they serve no physiological purpose. Fascinating. Yes. Moving on with your LinkedIn profile, uh, you have listed here uh, that uh, at present you are on the founding team at YNG+, Plus, uh, which is a uh, w- where you are helping to lead the launch of YNG+, Plus, an unprecedented next-generation leadership community Within Young Presidents Organization, a CEO network with 20,000 members in 100-plus countries. Uh, you are also, uh, as I understand, a global shaper with the World Economic Forum. And before that, you were executive director at Compass Partners, where you led the United States' largest on-campus social entrepreneurship program. If I recall correctly, you founded that while you were an undergraduate. I joined the founding team of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And later uh, and later served as the executive director exactly. of the organization. Exactly, yeah. Uh, before that, you were founder and chair of YPO, uh, again, that's the, from the, the, the Young Presidents Organization's Youth Social Enterprise Network, where you founded a network for next-generation social entrepreneurs and philanthropists within the Young Presidents Organization, again, composed of 20,000 CEOs in 100 countries. Um, again, I see here that you were director of strategic partnerships at Compass. You were director of strategic partnerships at the Nexus Global Youth Summit. Uh, and uh, when you and I met, uh, you were uh, this next one, uh, Youth Philanthropy Fellow uh, at a nonprofit here in uh, the district, uh, where you did a, a bunch of cool stuff, including co- co-organizing the White House gathering on next generation leadership that I attended. Mm. Uh, and uh, from that position, you have a recommendation from Lord Daniel Carfinshaw, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, who is uh, one of the unfunded list evaluation committee members, one of the yes. earlier members. Um, and also co-founder with me of the Moss Carpenshoff Non-Stipendiary Global Strategic Planning Ambassadorship. One of my um, favorite ambassadorships. It's one of the better ambassadorships. Yeah. Uh, if, in fact, uh, funny story, if you Google ambassadorship, it's the only thing that shows up. <laughs> I didn't realize there was anything you could Google that would only have one thing show the up. The first time I showed up, the, the, before I, did the, I made that, I Googled ambassadorship and nothing, there were no results. Ambassador, I I completely invented that word, and I'm surprised because I you know people in this in the social enterprise space love to combine two words together and to make another word that means the same and thing. That combination. And no one had ever come up with that yeah. yet. Took me and my general genius. So anyway, uh, uh, I also met Daniel um, uh, around that same time while you were interning as the Youth Philanthropy Fellow, mm. uh, which was actually more prestigious than it sounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hard to believe. Hard to imagine. Uh, so Daniel had to say of you, and I did not start the clock. Let's just add eight minutes to whatever that ends up saying. Um, what, he wrote, what Daniel wrote about you uh, is, Alex is a remarkable person. While very young, still incredibly bright and talented. His personal network is astounding, and his positive spirit and open attitude acts as a guidance in, in his endeavors. I had the good fortune of working with Alex on... I don't know why you chose this for something for me to read. It doesn't actually show the whole. I can't read the rest of it, but I'm sure the rest of the endorsement was. It was equally sensible. He says good fortune a lot. He starts a lot. I had yeah. the good fortune to do this. Yeah, yeah. I, it was good fortune. Daniel, if you're listening, which I assume you're not, 
Yeah. Hello. How are you? Yeah. Also, hi, mom. I also know that you're not listening. My mom me. might be listening. She listens to all the Does she? all the podcast. I've My heard mom says she listens, and I know that she doesn't because I often call her out like I'm doing now, yeah. and she doesn't say anything about it. Yeah. So she'll be like, "Yeah, I heard that. That's great." Now she might listen to this one because uh, if I remember correctly, you went to Newton North High School. That's totally correct. Right. My mother went to Newton South, and so she may. This one she may chime in on. Yeah. Assuming I remind her that you're from Newton. Oh man, that's very intimidating. Uh, and uh, let's see here. Was there anything else uh, after Daniel yes, that you wanted was. me to? Yes, there was. Uh, you were vice president at Newton North High School. You uh, were vice president of the Newton T- Tanzania Collaborative. Congrats. Well, it was actually. Right. Is that more or less prestigious than it sounds? It is much more prestigious. It might be less prestigious depending on how you interpret it. We basically were trying to merge the country of Tanzania with the city of Newton and create really? a, uh, well, now Mom will a connected economic. Uh, uh, unit. Really? Okay. How were you successful? No. Tanzania did not respond to most of our queries. Yeah. Yeah. But the you had the city of Newton. We they had the were city of Newton behind. They us. were on board. Yeah. yeah. Shout uh, out to Mayor so see, Cohen. You've bra- you bracketed here that you have ninety nine plus endorsements for social entrepreneurship. Yeah, I just wanted to. Yep, that's great. I don't bit. have ninety nine of anything. You have you have a lot more endorsements than I do. Congratulations. You're welcome. How did you? How did so? Uh, how did you get? Um, how did you go about getting 99 plus endorsements on LinkedIn? Do I'll, you endorse other people a lot? I'll tell you exactly how this happened. I once pressed a button, and I didn't know what the button meant, but it meant LinkedIn sent an email to every single person I'd ever emailed in 24 years. This mm-hmm. was a couple of years ago, um, inviting them to be my contact on LinkedIn. Yeah, I did. I think a lot of people have done that. But this went out to like 20,000 people. Yeah. And I got a lot of responses from people saying they'd love to be my friend on LinkedIn, but had no idea who I was. Some of them are now my friends on LinkedIn. I still don't know. But anyways, I mean, when you have so many connections, people accidentally click things. And so that's how it resulted in 99 plus social entrepreneurship endorsements. And 68 for entrepreneurship. Yeah, well, what I really... Hilariously, I, 13 for social enterprise. Yeah, I'm still wrestling with that one. It's one of the main quandaries. Social enterprise existence. and social entrepreneurship. I'm sure there's probably people in the world who are going to make some sort of weird argument that they're different, but they're not. I think we're... Let's let's make it clear here in the booth that social enterprise and social entrepreneurship are the same, the same thing. There is no substantial difference between those two concepts. I was on a panel once with a very awesome human named Laura Tomasco. Um, oh, yeah. Who knows way more about... Uh, this philanthropy stuff than I would she believes to say social enterprise and social entrepreneurship and she actually started the panel by disentangling social enterprise from social entrepreneurship which was an intellectual exercise that I I was barely capable of comprehending no, so it's, I'm so, she, I, I, I know Laura she's, she, uh, she's quite smart uh, she's wrong about that um, I mean enterprise it's just starting businesses that have social impact like it's uh, one of the, and I think this is interesting. It's actually a somewhat interesting topic, uh, if not silly, uh, is that the you know f- I think people come up to me a lot and they talk about philanthropy, right? They want me to give them some sort of definition for what philanthropy is. Philanthropy is when you give money to someone else for like for good purposes. Wait, right? we're recording. Should we do it now? Should we record a philanthropy? Just record some philanthropy. Here, okay. You, you can hear the rustle of money. Are you gonna actually? I'm about to make grant? a one dollar grant. Let it be known: the Alex Simon Personal Charitable Institution of Foundations is making a one dollar, completely discretionary grant to mm-hmm. the, is it the Moss Family Foundation. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So you Thank can you hear. On as the as the acting temporary indefinite executive director, uh, I I I thank you. Uh, for your donation. 
And uh, I'd like to let you know that your gift is not tax deductible. Is this the first time that philanthropy has happened on this on this? No, recording? because uh, I do give a grant of wine to my guests every single week. So, so an in-kind So some philanthropy has happened every time. Okay. But this is the first time cash has been involved. Yeah. This okay. is the first, one of the first cash actual cash grant that I've ever, I've, no one's ever actually, in my fundraising career, no one's ever, ever actually given me actual cash. Mm. Maybe at an event or something. Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, this is great. We'll use it wisely. We will. Compound yeah. interest and all that stuff. I will invest it. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much. Um, let's see here. Uh, after, uh, So, yeah, yeah. Uh, the reason that uh, Alex is so knowledgeable about chairs is he's, have you completed the program? One the never master's? completes a master's degree in chairs. Okay. Uh, but he. But a fair uh, question. You've participated in I studied open chairs master's for, program yeah, on chairs. I studied chairs, actually getting exactly to what you were saying, kind of the nebulous and somewhat nefarious nature of things like philanthropy, social entrepreneurship, innovation. Sure, thank you for the wine. Um, by the way, have we given a shout out to the, the vineyard? I don't normally, because no, so far none of them have been willing to pay me for that sponsorship, which is something we're definitely open to here at Wine Grants. If anyone who owns a wine company is listening... Uh, we'd love to have your sponsorship dollars and support, uh, but th- we are drinking uh, the Beaujolais Viage, which is a famous enough wine that um, I feel like I can just list them without um, uh, without without having to worry about it too much. Uh, Al- uh, I have my guests uh, that can choose which wine they'd like every week, uh, and uh, Alex, uh, I'm sure as you know, Alex, uh, you uh, you asked me to get the wine with the most number of syllables. Yeah, because if you couldn't tell from my little blurb in LinkedIn. I am a huge fan of super simplistic and non-buzzwordy language. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but anyways, the chairs thing, yeah. So actually, after doing all this like stuff that you just mentioned around philanthropy, social entrepreneurship, I was really gravitating towards something that was simple and tangible and ubiquitous. And so that's where the chairs thing came in. I thought like there can't be enough chair-related material in the world to study it for an extensive period of time. But I couldn't have been more wrong, and I learned a lot about chairs, the history, design, various things that are important related to chairs and implications of chair use and sitting uh, over the course of three years. And I am still learning. One is never a master of the chair. You're always a student. It's not like a, you know, Sith Lord kind of situation. But, um, yeah, chairs. No one has ever mastered chairs. What about John Chair, the inventor of the chair? John's the only master. Sorry, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> John's the master. Uh, on your last page here, you've um, uh, squared out some folks. Uh, Fadi Gondor. Yeah. Uh, as one of your influencers. Yeah, a LinkedIn you... influencer. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like one of the only sincere things I'll say on this entire recording is, yeah, Fadi Gondor is an awesome Jordanian entrepreneur, started uh, a, a very large logistics company called Aramex, which is like the direct competitor to like DHL, FedEx, all that stuff, particularly in like emerging markets. And now he's basically like the, uh, like the Oracle of the Middle East startup ecosystem. So it's a really, really cool way of using business to advance hmm. society and empower people. And, and he's doing a bunch of cool stuff. That's very interesting. Particularly about a region that usually is captured in headlines about bombs and people blowing themselves up and stuff. It's a it's a good alternative narrative. Yeah. Um, and I would highly recommend uh, a book called The Startup Revolution by a guy named Chris Schroeder if you want to learn more about that whole wondrous hmm. thing. Very interesting, yes. Uh, over the summer, I went uh, to Israel uh, mm. on a Schusterman Foundation-funded trip. Many of the guests I've had uh, in the first season were folks I met on that trip. Uh, recently, I had a catch-up call with somebody I met on that, and she's going. Uh, Marina von Schlegel is going. She's going to uh, Gaza to run some sort of like 
tech incubator yeah. in Gaza City. Mercy Corps has a very cool program called Gaza Sky Geeks. Uh, where they fund with Google and some others, I think, a really cool program. I think I may introduce you to Marina over email before she heads over there. This is one of the most productive, between the philanthropy that's taken place and offer of an introduction. I've, yeah. Well, that's, most... what we like, that's what we like to do here at the Unfunded List, yeah. and uh, particularly on Wine Grants, the yeah. official podcast of the Unfunded List. Uh, lastly, you've squared something called Herman Miller Furniture. Mm. Would you like to talk about that? Not really. I mean, All I right, just good. think it's one of the more important uh, furniture companies in America. They make chairs, I assume? They make all no, kinds no, of stuff. No, no, no. Everything lot, but chairs. A lot, yeah. Only, <laughs> only settees, or however you pronounce it. Not too good settees? with that. Settees? S-E-T-T-E. Is that a seti? I have no idea how to pronounce that. All right. Oh, can I just, before we get down to business? Are, um, we, getting, are, we, is there, are we planning to get down to business? This is about to get be a, uh, I'm about to give you another gift. Uh, this could have been my philanthropy, but I wasted a dollar. A gift, uh, a gift is not philanthropy. Uh, you gave me a dollar in support of... Your important work. Um, so I just wanted to say, about <laughs> yes. five minutes before I arrived, I thought, what could I give Dave Moss of the Moss Family Foundation? And yeah, what do you give the man who what has everything? What do you everything? give the man who has everything? Um, <laughs> I have a booth. He has a booth. Like what a else could I possibly need? Soundproof booth. Um, and I thought this was going to be recorded on video because I'm we super well prepared for my. I said podcast here. many times. Yeah. But anyways, I wanted to buy you some reading that would help you, and this was going to be way more amusing if I had, like, a nice video. But I got you a really great uh, 1981 December issue of American Film, um, and I just thought you could learn a lot about the art of film and media, and, and I really like uh, James Cagney in Ragtime has a great face. So that's, that's my gift to you, Dave. Did you spend money on this? Yeah, actually. So it cost three dollars and eighteen cents, but the credit card limit was five dollars. It was originally two dollars. I know. Well, inflation in the last thirty-six years or thirty-five years. Uh, yeah. Uh, so this is a funny story. This is uh, this magazine is a little bit older than I am officially. And about Just a little bit thirty years older than I am. Uh, it's not actually older than I actually am, but. We won't get into that today. Next season. Season three. <laughs> Next season. I'll let's keep it pretty... That'll be the cliffhanger at the end it, of... Let's keep it pretty nebulous how old I actually am. No one really knows. Yeah, it's best that way. My parents are confused as hell. Yeah. Uh, how old is the kid again? That's Does, the, the government? last thing I heard my dad say. The government? Actually, no. Uh, it's a long story, and I probably shouldn't say it on the air. Yeah. But I am officially 33 years old. Uh, all right. Uh... Uh, let's uh, let's uh, have a little bit of uh, philanthropy conversation. Okay. Uh, you and I are uh, millennial philanthropists. We're young, sure. young, hip ph- philanthropists on the philanthropy scene. Yeah. <laughs> We're so cool. I My have, shoes aren't tied because I'm so cool. I recently went through all the um, uh, various uh, grant-making entities I've been in and grants I've been involved with. Uh, and at this point in my life, I have been uh, involved in giving away a little bit over $5 million. It's um, uh, really quite something to think about for me. Um, it sort of added up pretty quickly, uh, and I go back and I think about like you know well, the impact I've had, and I try to think about some of the better gifts uh, that I made in there. Yeah. Uh, and I'm still uh, still something I'm wrestling with. It's a big part of the reason why um, the Moss Foundation's uh, why our official efforts are satire and philanthropy commentary because mm-hmm. I still haven't quite figured out how to do commentary uh, philanthropy correctly mm-hmm. so for now I'll just um, you know uh, 
you know, try to participate in the in the conversation best I can, and and I think that there isn't enough satire or humor in the conversation. So I totally agree. That's I think that's what I try to do there. Awesome. And then I then the other thing I noticed uh, throughout that process of giving grants away was that there is no feedback loop for applicants, yeah. and so that that's the purpose of the unfunded list. So lots of times people ask me, what is your yeah, what uh, what sort of things? What are the what program areas are most interesting for the for the Moss Foundation? Uh, or like, well, what sort of things do you fund? People ask me that all the time. Uh, uh, I haven't given a grant in a while. I'm still not sure how to give a large grant uh, effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how to do that. I may be one of the only major philanthropists. Uh, not that I'm a major philanthropist, but I may be one of the only um, uh, philanthropists in the country that's willing to admit I don't know how to do it well. Uh, Let me be, what, again, <laughs> not a major, like barely, I, I gave a dollar to you just now. Yeah, and you I, are a And I'm the first to admit of I did not Of the people in this booth right now, you not, are the. <laughs> I'm in the top two, top two. Um, yeah. But you, you'd agree? You don't really know how to do it well? Oh, for sure. It's very not. difficult, a lot yeah. harder than people think. The more you learn, the more confusing and complicated and poorly you realize you do it like with all things i imagine it's been similar with chairs i when you started off your study of chairs you probably thought you like had it pretty figured out it's a chair you sit in it yeah right life is easier when everything is an unknown unknown Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not a big part of the funding universe is i think you know people don't really get it and they sort of think it's easy right one of my big pet peeves and i think a huge problem in the sector is this idea that philanthropy is something that happens like in a semi-retirement type state, right? Like go out there, run a business, do work, right? And then after you've made your money, you can like relax and give some of it away as a philanthropist, right? Yeah. But in fact, philanthropy is much harder than making money. Running a company that makes money is simple. Like let's say you make chairs, for instance. You got to make chairs. You got to make sure they're chairs that people are willing to buy, charge the appropriate amount. Like it's this is simple stuff. I am not, I'm not a chair manufacturer, but I know how you do it. Right. Yeah. Like philanthropy, though, is like so so much more difficult and complicated, uh, and comes with less accountability. Right. So if you wrote, the guy that owns that chair company, he has a board of directors who expect him to make money. Right. If he doesn't, the market puts him out of business. Right. Yeah. If you're just sitting there on a pile of money giving it away, you can give it away as poorly as you want, David Geffen. Mm-hmm. And no one. No one can step in to stop you. Yeah. In fact, you like so. What I what's been enthusing to me lately is that David Geffen does is taking flack in the press. Over the summer, John Paulson made a four hundred million dollar gift to Harvard yep. University. I got a and lot of he flag. and he he got he did not get the accolades he expected to get. Right? Yeah. And I think it, and and I think that this is great, right? Like those guys are so out of touch. They're going to keep doing those sorts of gifts. But it, but at least but if it would be much worse if they were getting praise for it in the press when they do that. I mean, what David Gavin just did at, at UCLA is bad. It's not just like a poor gift; like he could have had more impact. What he did is harmful for the universe. He sh- he's a bad philanthropist, and he should feel bad about it. Cheers. <laughs> right, but. Like I said, you know, here you and I are in the booth willing to admit I that. I hope I never have to get a job that is related <laughs> David to David Geffen. Yeah. Related, uh, <laughs> to not know we'd be. Well, I think it's unlikely he listens to the podcast. Uh, I also think it's unlikely that he's hiring anybody in the future. Um, and, I mean, he's a smart guy. Uh, he must. He probably knows it's bad philanthropy. I think he, I don't think he thinks he's helping anyone. Um, yeah. You know? I'm. Yeah, it is what it is. But again, and I don't know how to do it better than he does. I have access to a lot less funds, 
Um, but you were, you've done some, you know, uh, before your chair study, you were the, the philanthropy fellow uh, and have, have spent some time. Um, I'm a thinking, fellow thinking affiliated. And, uh, and, and you are. And there is, it is very interesting. I was, uh, when I was a baby philanthropist, um, just being, I was in a, I had a little bit of responsibility with some of my uh, uh, family's philanthropy. I think I was probably about your age. I joined a network called the Grand Street Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a network for young philanthropists. And yeah. I remember one of the, Simon Greer was one of our facilitators. And he came up to me and he asked me, he's like, well, are, he said, Dave, are you out? So he asked me. And I was like, well, uh, Simon, I'm, I'm straight. I'm not gay. So I don't know how to answer your question. Uh. He's like, no, I don't. I mean, are you out as a philanthropist at work? Because at the time I was working as a fundraiser yeah. at the Seed Foundation. Mm-hmm. And he asked me if I was, you know, do you admit, <laughs> do you admit? to the people? Like, do you go around talking about it? I think there are a lot of folks in the same situation who don't. Right, who are in the closet as philanthropists, yeah. particularly younger folks. I had a lot of pressure from my grandmother and also my parents to they don't they don't like that I do this podcast. They don't like that I go out and admit that I'm a philanthropist. No, uh, I don't know. What, I think they're afraid that I'll be taken advantage of, which is crazy to me. I'm very knowledgeable about how philanthropy works. I only give grants to things that I want to, and you're just not going to be able to like no, like I think they think that someone's going to like smooth talk me and then I'm just going to sign over the whole trust right mm. uh, not going to happen oh really why am I here <laughs> not going to happen and in fact I'm not really giving grants right now We're, I'm focusing on giving feedback to people's rejected proposals through the unfunded list uh, you are uh, I'm a we, happy member I notice it is not on your LinkedIn profile anywhere so but I'm not I don't actually don't I, I need to make a, a page I think so that you can like like them as an influencer or whatever not much of a LinkedIn-er. Part of the reason I don't have a bio is just because I'm a completely negligent human being when it comes to updating what I've been up to. I think it's been about a year since I... I just write a new bio every time someone asks me for a bio. Mm. Literacy is important. Being able to read and write. Yeah. Being able to write a paragraph about yourself. That's an important thing. Yeah, I can actually do that really quickly. Yeah. And... Uh, in, in a grammatically correct fashion. I think that might be my main thing I hope people take away from this podcast. That you don't have a bio. You don't that, have a bio that literacy is important. That liter- literacy. Literacy. People should Reading, be able to read. writing, texting, Snapchat, etc. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't Snapchat unless you know how to read. Literacy. Is that true? I don't know how to Snapchat. One day. This is more of a year generation thing. Do you Snapchat? Uh, it's not something I've built in as a habit. I've, You've done it though. I've in, Instagram is my latest habit. I like the like creative I piece of it. No one likes my Instagram. Like if it gets above eleven likes, then I've like made it because after before eleven, it just lists every single person who's liked your picture, mm-hmm. and I can't handle seeing that and knowing that I didn't even get eleven likes. That's the complete narcissist of being mm-hmm. a twenty-five, almost twenty-six year old. Yeah, it must be tough. It's a really difficult situation for you. It's a different. It's a difficult world. Well, yeah. anyway, so good. Uh, tell me a little bit about being about about you about baby Alex the philanthropist. Yeah, so I'm being trying to think exactly. So I'll tell you, um, kind of how I just got into all this stuff in general, because um, it's all kind of tied together. Um, my family's kind of crazy, um, and my parents named me after Alexander Graham Bell because they went to like his house somewhere, and they learned a story that his mom uh, let him dissect a pig on the dining room table, and they were like, you know, we love the idea of our kids going whatever direction they want. The only thing like they're not allowed to do is dissect a pig on the dining room table, but anything else they can screw around with. Was it a kosher with. house? 
No. We, then what's the problem? Um, I think it was the blood. <laughs> I think my mom is not, like, if she watches uh, shows that have, like, scary parts, she'll close her eyes, play free cell on her iPad or whatever. So I think the idea of a pig exploding in the, in the dining you room. You would dissect a, by the time you got it, it would have been bled out. Um, maybe. Never mind, we don't need to get into the details here. I don't know, we'll have to think It wouldn't that. actually be any blood, is my point. But yeah. That's yeah. fine. I'll have a separate conversation with your mother. Yeah, you should. She should definitely come on the yeah. podcast. Have her I think she'd, I think she'd have her here she the doesn't. Room. She does drink wine, yeah. My dad doesn't drink wine. Anyways, um, so the point is, I got really, all my siblings and I got uh, uh, really into entrepreneurship uh, and starting little businesses. And my first business was a stationary company that got down, that got shut down by the FBI in Boston when I was 11. Um, then my second business was hmm. with a friend I had. The first business's name was Alex Co. And our motto was, we have and do everything. Um, yeah, so uh, very ambitious. Um, mm-hmm. And just a series of businesses. We have and do everything. We have and do everything. Um, and then the point is I was really excited about entrepreneurship and baked into the Simon family DNA is, uh, constant frenetic travel. And so we traveled around the year around, around the world for a year when I was 10. And then we kept visiting all these projects, um, uh, different social enterprises that I guess wasn't really a big concept back then, but nonprofits and then microfinance kind of took off. Um, and I got really excited about visiting different microfinance loan recipients, micro loan recipients. Lendees. Lendees. Is that what they're called? That's is that the simple. Right? Is that I prefer right? whatever I whatever I could use to describe them with the most number of syllables. That's my way of describing right. them. Um, but these should. awesome people who took tiny amounts of money or relatively tiny amounts of money and created businesses that were enriching their own lives, their families, their communities, et cetera. So I just got psyched about microfinance being like a tiny little young entrepreneur and loving meeting all these people and seeing that you can make a big impact. Um, and so actually my first ever like philanthropic allocation was uh, my parents had uh, to let us, to help us like kind of think about the world and stuff, had allocated like a very, very small amount of money to each one of my siblings and I to like do philanthropically what we wished. Hmm. Um, How old were you? Uh, shoot, I don't know. Probably like a young teenager. Um uh, and a recent mitzvah. Yeah, I think it was after my <laughs> bar mitzvah. I'm yeah. trying to remember. The most exciting thing about my bar mitzvah, I was not a very enlightened bar mitzvah person. I um, I uh, made up half well, of my half Torah portion. You just said bar portion. mitzvah person, so... Yeah, I did become a bar mitzvah. I didn't have one or do one. I became one, which is the technically accurate way to describe it, I'm pretty it's sure. It's also accurate to say you had one. I had a bar mitzvah. Um, <laughs> uh, the most exciting thing about that was... Uh, getting a, a power a power Mac G5. Congratulations! Or, yeah. That I remember that computer. It literally is like larger than my apartment. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I got rid of it regrettably, but I could have lived in it and been more comfortable than in my apartment. But um, the point is, I got really excited about microfinance, and then the reason I'm sharing and oh, and my parents had had done this thing. So I basically manipulated my siblings into giving me access to what they could allocate and putting it all into. A small like. Uh, you convinced them to make a matching grant. Yeah. From their discretion- with a hundred percent of their, their discretionary-, discretionary pool. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. To put it in in the in <laughs> layman's terms, um, uh, but into like Axion, which uh, had like different debt funds associated with the microfinance. Axion. Axion. A C C I O N. I think this was a Latin America focused thing. Yeah, I've heard um, of it. But the point is, like everything that I have experienced with philanthropy, social enterprise trying to make a positive impact and the various like challenges and quandaries associated with that came from experiencing 
a very classic boom bust moderation cycle with microfinance because in 2005 2006 when i got really involved in organizing high school students college students and young professionals to get more involved in microfinance muhammad yunus won the nobel peace prize it was the un year of microfinance all this crazy stuff and then a couple years later you see things like comportamos has an ipo are they doing predatory lending many people are committing suicide in andhra pradesh did sks grow its microfinance efforts too fast like is it is it uh abusing basically all these people what is the positive impact of microfinance what is it really like the worst thing in the world after being thought of uh, uh, as a silver bullet and then you kind of see like the moderation randomized control trials various things that determined you know here's what microfinance does do whether or not it's objectively positive here's what it doesn't do here's where like the facts are and so all of that stuff kind of led me to realize kind of the the dialogue on all these making a difference efforts, like it, the things that trend and the things that bust, like it, it's very hard to see through the facade of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think the most successful like efforts I've made, whether they've been like financial forms of philanthropy or non-financial have been when it's like very focused, very intimate on a human to human connection basis, which is I not agree. to say when it's not like, using smart thinking but it's i'm not smart enough or you know no the bet the same thing with me the best experiences i've had has been when i was when i i myself intimately knew the people and when i was in some way involved in the actual work as well mm. uh i've never made a grant i was particularly proud of to anyone where it was just where my only role on that project was writing the check or, or facilitating the transfer Mm-hmm. Rarely do you actually write it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, sometimes, but rarely. Uh, if I was like, so uh, uh, Moss Foundation funded uh, It's On Us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were, in fact, the only funder um, for public's effort. Um, yeah, I didn't even get any money from public foundation. Um, the Moss Foundation funded... That was uh, a pretty leveraged uh, gift, yeah. though, because it's now like a big thing. Yes, a, a two, two and a half billion impression campaign. Yeah. Um, and uh, a PSA with the president in it. Uh, and uh, none of it would have happened uh, if I hadn't made a. It's a pretty small grant. It's nothing to write home about. Uh, certainly made larger ones uh, throughout my career. But I think the reason why I was able to leverage it so well is because I was. I worked on that. I worked all day, and I. I think for me, it's really difficult when you're. Uh, I think one of the big challenges in philanthropy, is you know to to be able to support something without actually being the one doing it. Right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people can fund their own effort. Uh, I think that's one of the easiest things to fund, right? Because you know, when you're the funder and the person doing it, then you know exactly how it's going to go out, yeah. right? But you have lots of disconnects when it's, you know, in the traditional sense, it's somebody who's funding it, and they're not actually going to do any of the work. When, so, and obviously, they don't actually know. When you're not doing any of the work, then you don't really know what it is you're funding, and then that causes problems. When I think this is where actually, like, Nexus the whole value proposition of Nexus, at least from my memory of it as a like college student working on it, was that there are so many... Because the flip side of not being able to like sink your teeth into the project is that you don't trust the person executing stuff. Yes. And maybe even if you gave them a million dollars, you don't trust them and you don't know them. And there's it, always a weird... It's pretty rare to know someone well enough that you can give them a million dollars... And trust that yeah. they will spend that well. Which which totally makes sense. That's particularly, extremely rare. Well, it's particularly, though, in the context of the first 
touch point you have with this person is sitting at a negotiating table asking them for money the or first, pitching them something. They come, to, yeah, they, uh, you know, and they, and that comes from a lot of like these people have these folks who are applying for funds have great solutions to social problems, mm-hmm. ideally, right? Maybe they don't. We're talking about the ones who do have great solutions, right? They want to implement their solutions. And then we make them do this, like, song and dance number where they ask for money, right? And you're right. As a philanthropist, first time you encounter them, them asking you for money, right? Wow. A lot of people, when I meet people, they find out I run the Moss Family Foundation. Like, I can see the, I can see the dollar signs start flipping around in their yeah. eyes. And it makes the conversation very awkward. But I'm not trying to blame them. They need the money. But they don't really understand how it works. They don't know how to get the money. They don't want to. They're uncomfortable asking the questions they want to ask. It's a very difficult. Well, it's uh, not only awkward. Relationship to it navigate. is totally counterproductive because yes. if they have problems, they're not going to be transparent about those. Because unless they project an image of success, you're never going to keep giving them money. I used to ask. Uh, I don't ask this anymore because you don't get a good answer for it. But I used to ask, "What are you doing wrong? Yeah. What do you and your organization do incorrectly?" Yeah. And I know that like there's no organization that doesn't do some stuff wrong, but like. When they're trying to get your money, they're not going to answer that. They're not going to answer that question. They're going to say things, but they're not going to answer the question. And the irony is they want to tell you what's going on that's not working out well more than anything, but they put up these artificial facades. Here's what they want. They want to get back to work. They want to get back to work. They They want help. They need funding so they can get back to work. Yeah, and fund... there are fundraisers who love talk, who love like smoozing and and whatever, but like those like that's that's a position that honestly shouldn't exist, right? I I I'm, I shouldn't say that because I it's like if I'm ever I, I might get paid to do that someday, um, but like I you know uh, I've been involved in organizations where I had no idea how to do the work the organization did. Yeah, not a first clue. Everybody else who who was there was better at like at Atlas Core. Like, <laughs> I was I was pretty good at convincing organizations to take the fellow, right? But I don't know how to I don't know how to recruit fellows. I don't know how to get fellows placed. I don't know how to do any of that, right? Uh. I, the all the schmoozing talk and all that, and like and at, at, at Naira too, I wasn't that great of an activist, like. But like, I'll go in and I'll spend the time, and like, I genuinely enjoy talking to funders about how like they might be able to support the program. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm a guy who doesn't actually do the work, right? Like, what other industry is there where like? We have like you just have to hire people who don't know how to do what it is you do, and have that, and you just have to have them on your on your team, right? And like you know, for, I think you can like one of a good a pretty good example of this college presidents. They don't teach class. They don't run the school. They don't do anything. Uh, they don't do anything. They're the quote president. <laughs> they're the president of the school. They're in charge of everything. You know what they do? They meet with rich people and get men and ask them for money. Uh, That's what they do, right? Maybe yeah. President, chancellor, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, king of the college. Yeah. Well, I mean, all this stuff, like, that's why it was cool to think about Nexus, which is, let's say these people, because a lot of the time now you'll have entrepreneurs who are, like, you know, older and For those listening at home older. may not know what Nexus is. He, Alex is talking about the Nexus Global Youth Summit, which is a large network of 2,500-plus millennial-aged philanthropists from around the world. Mm. And I remember when I was a sophomore or junior, um, I met a guy who, who uh, went on to co-found Nexus named Jonah Whitcamper, and I met him because I bought a keyboard he, he had used at an auction, and the keyboard was involved in designing Barack Obama's text messaging campaign uh, tools. Like, you know, the texting he used to... Recruit. Why, because Jonah designed the texting... I forget. So I had the keyboard, and I yeah. since re-gifted it to a farmer I know, 
Um, but anyways, I sat down with Joe. Farmers need keyboards. Farmers need keyboards. No one thinks about it. It's like one of those often overlooked, yeah, uh, philanthropy all over the place. Um, but yeah, I ate some, I think it was Mexican food with Jonah, and we were just talking about how great it would be if, uh, human connections broke down these artificial barriers that we're talking about between the funders and the entrepreneurs. And maybe they don't, they don't necessarily exchange resources right away, but like you become friends with the people and can communicate honestly and productively about what's going on and the challenges you're having. So, so that's kind of like where I saw Nexus as a really cool value proposition. It brings all these people together to like meet each other and collide and think about stuff um, before they're in a weird, awkward position where they're all hitting one another up for money. Mm-hmm. And on the flip yes. side, like for the philanthropist piece, Interesting. that was a community that I thought hadn't been brought together in kind of like a non-cloistered well, way. In general, there are not, uh, I think... Uh, people who seek funds think that funders that we that they all know each other that they like sit in rooms and cl- and talk to each other. In reality, they don't. They hardly ever talk to each other at all. Foundations are all in their own universes. Mm. A lot of foundations out there fund the same things as other foundations, but never talk to the other people that are funding them. Mm-hmm. Right? And like it's just this all. It's a it's 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 a it's a very uh, misunderstood situation. I think you've done a good job, at least for the folks listening to this show, of helping to clarify that for them. I want to thank you, uh, Alex, for coming by the booth. Uh, we're gonna wrap it up now. Is there anything you'd like to? Uh, would you like to? Uh, you have any closing remarks you'd like to make? Any yeah. last points you'd like I'd to? I'd like make? to point people towards a company called Focal Upright Furniture. And Focal Upright Furniture. Focal Upright Furniture. Do they make chairs? They don't make chairs. They don't they make, make chairs. They <laughs> make um, uh, an apparatus for perching, which is uh, basically forming an isosceles triangle with your legs slanted inwards, and then basically a pogo stick with a bicycle seat. You, you know this is a podcast. No one can see the gestures you're making right oh, now. Oh, that's true, I guess. Yeah, but anyways, look up the MoGo. It's a $99 perching apparatus, and it will change the way you work and live. Focal perching apparatus. Furniture. Yeah. Great. As always, I want to thank our host, The Lookout DC, which is a beautiful co-working community for filmmakers located in the Adams Morgan neighborhood of Washington, DC. I'd like to thank Alex Simon, my guest. Thank you, everybody, and good luck with your funding. Good luck.